Gary Zacharias with the Apologist Bookshelf. Welcome. A while back, I did a podcast uh, of an earlier book by Hugh Ross. It's called Lights in the Sky and Little Green Men, one of my favorite titles. I wanted to do one of the, that was an older book, and I wanted to do one of his newer books. It's called Improbable Planet, subtitled How Earth Became Humanity's Home. And uh, I really enjoy this book, I guess because I'm a, a science nut, but other people liked it a whole lot too. And I just wanted to share with you before we take a look at it, some of the things that people said about it. So as an example, James Tour, T-O-U-R, is uh, rated one of the top chemists in the world today, and he gave it a, a glowing write-up. Uh, he says the text is replete with references from primary scientific sources and some of the most well-respected journals. So he talks about the academic rigor of this book. Dennis Prager, the uh, syndicated radio talk show host, he said, Hugh Ross is a gift. He says, you don't need to know either science or the Bible to understand the book, but the more you know about either, the more impressive you'll find the achievement. Anyone would immensely benefit from reading Improbable Planet. How about Gary Habermas? He's probably the leading expert on the resurrection of Jesus. He says, Hugh Ross is one of the beloved and most widely read scientific authors, so he compliments it. Sean McDowell talks about how this book shows that recent scientific findings will provide evidence that there's a plan, a purpose, and a design in the universe. So he gives it a thumbs up. Mike Strauss, who's a physicist, particle physicist, and uh, he's uh, spoken at our church, Emmanuel Faith. He said, Improbable planet is a remarkably researched and detailed account of the geological, chemical, and biological history of Earth. And I know that may actually put some people off. But uh, it shouldn't. It's, it's an excellent book. I don't know if I've said enough about Hugh Ross and his background. I may have in the past, but just real quickly bring you up to speed here. Hugh Ross has a Ph.D. from the University of Toronto, and he's the founder and president of Reasons to Believe, reasons.org. That's an excellent website. You'll find a lot of information there about uh, scientific issues that uh, he knows just a ton of information about put out a lot of different books. Uh, he's spoken on over 300 campuses in the U.S. and abroad on science faith topics. So let me uh, share with you just a portion of this book. Again, it's called Improbable Planet. Now, why did he write this? So he says at the beginning, what's going on here? He said a few years ago that he wrote a book. It was called Why the Universe is the way it is. And he was trying to show the characteristics of the universe, everything from age to how big it is, physical laws, and how that really told us a lot about why we're here, what's our purpose, what's our destiny. He said that he wrote it as an appeal for people who rejected the Creator because, oh, come on, uh, you know, we could conceive of a better universe than ours. And he's saying, no, he says, um, he has evidence in that book that supports the biblical assertion that this universe is actually a launching pad for a new creation to come, something far better than we can even imagine. Okay, well, that was that previous book, Why the Universe is the Way It Is. I've got it. Maybe I can uh, talk about it on another podcast. But he says this book, the one that I'm reviewing today here, Improbable Planet, is a sequel to the earlier book, Why the Universe is the Way It Is, he said uh, he's hearing so much now that the earth is not very special. It's a hostile place. Uh, we don't really need it. It's, it's nothing in the grand scheme of things. It's just a moat. It's a speck. It's just uh, absolutely pointless. 
And I have researched that as well. I've found a lot of information that Hugh Ross has talked about and others have talked about to show that science is actually swinging back to the idea that the Earth is special. And that's why he calls this book Improbable Planet. He said, what makes this interesting is why has this book been updated and coming out now? By, by the way, when I say now, it's about four years old, five years old. But he says the number and complexity of the astronomical, geological, chemical, and biological features recognized as essential to us being here has expanded explosively within the past decade. There's so much new information. And so even though he writes a book and then it comes out and all of a sudden it's dated, it's two or three or four years old, keep in mind, if you go to his website, reasons.org, he has so many new things that have just come out and he hasn't been able to put them into a book. So I would always suggest go to his website and you'll find a lot of information there. So reasons.org. Anyway, let me take you to just a part of the book here. I'm going to skip a little bit of material and go to chapter 3. It's called Essential Construction Materials. And so he says, consider our Earth. Let's, let's back up and see the big picture. Earth. You have to have the right universe to get the Earth to appear in. So remember the idea that he's fighting here is that the earth is not unique it's like any other place uh, just happenstance that it came about and he says no not really he says for example you have to have just the right mass in the whole universe and i remember reading the book cosmos and uh, carl sagan who is the author who's obviously not a christian he has the main character say things like you know what a waste the size of the universe if we're supposed to worry about life here on earth it's way too big for us to be concerned that there's something special about us. Don't make a big deal about us. And Hugh Ross brings up that same thing. He says, everybody wonders, why do you need a universe this massive? It has something like 50 billion trillion stars. And that's only just 1% of its total stuff. He mentions Stephen Hawking in Brief History of Time. He wrote that popular book, and Hawking said... Now, this vast number of stars and galaxies seems like a waste. But Hugh Ross is going to challenge that because of some recent scientific discoveries. For example, just the right mass. Okay, what he's talking about here is how much stuff there is in the universe. He said, you've got all the galaxies, but he said there's something called dark energy. He said that's expansion energy. It's just embedded into the surface of the universe. He says mass density... So we're talking about the mass, how much stuff controls the cosmic expansion rate. Remember the Big Bang idea is that everything started from a singularity, from a single point, all matter, space, time, and energy, and then it expanded, and it's been expanding ever since. And he said, you've got to have the right amount of stuff, exactly right amount of stuff. He said, if the cosmic mass density were just a little smaller, in other words, a little thinner amount of material, he says the universe would expand so quickly that you wouldn't get gravity to be able to collapse galaxies, stars, or planets, which means we wouldn't be here. On the other hand, if you have a lot more stuff, gravity would be too effective. He says all the stars in the universe would be much larger than the sun. They'd burn up too quickly for any planets to have life. He said, in fact, even if the density was just a little bit greater, 
the gas would quickly compress into nothing but black holes and neutron stars. Oh, that's not good. Uh, don't look for a future there for humanity with black holes and neutron stars. So you've got to have just the right mass. Well, what else has to be just right in the universe? He says it's got to be the, the right age. He says uh, 9 billion years. He said that's how long the universe existed before the Earth could get built. And so, uh, by the way, he's going to be using terms that tie into with what modern science says. I know there are going to be some people called young Earth creationists who think the Earth and maybe the universe is a lot, lot younger. That's okay. I'm not going to uh, jump in on one side or the other, but I just want you to consider that what he's dealing with is what scientists generally are saying. So uh, you won't get an argument from scientists who read this kind of material. So he said, why do we need 9 billion years to go by? He said, you've got to get enough heavy elements. And what happens is pretty cool stuff. Stars that are bigger and, and, and monstrous compared to our sun end up with their lifespans with huge explosions. They're called supernova eruptions. And that is what inside the star is crushing all the material and making elements heavier than iron. Things like copper and zinc and selenium and molybdenum. And you've got to have those things. And it takes several generations of giant stars to form, to burn their fuel, and then to explode to send all those things out into the universe and to get gathered up by the earth. So it takes a long, long time. He says there's another reason why 9 billion years has to go by before our earth comes here. You've got to have radioisotopes or radioactive isotopes. Why? He said they generate the heat that blasts away the light gases and water that would have given us too thick an atmosphere and they establish our magnetic field, which is great, right? That protects us from deadly cosmic radiation. So things like this. He said even plate tectonics, you've got to have radioisotopes in the core of the Earth, and that drives the tectonics, and you've got to have tectonics. It uh, recycles nutrients, for example. So he says you've got to have 9 billion years worth of giant star formation burning and exploding. Okay, so there's the first part you got to have a just-right universe. But he goes beyond that. You've got to live in the right neighborhood. What are we talking about here? He says the ideal place for life as we know it, that that's us, turns out to be a solar system like ours. And he's going to spend several chapters on that. I won't do that today, but something you can take a look at if you ever get a hold of this book. But he says you got to be in the right kind of galaxy. And you have to be in the right kind of supercluster of galaxies. And then you've got to be in a super, super cluster. Okay, my head's spinning. How about yours? But the idea is it's not any place in the universe where life can form. said you need a, a spiral galaxy. Why? They're stable. They have these spiral arms that make them stable. You don't want to be in an elliptical galaxy or an irregular galaxy. By the way, galaxies are beautiful when they're photographed. So if you have a chance, go online sometime, just type in galaxies or photographs of galaxies and take a look at spiral galaxies. They're beautiful. They look like pinwheels of stars, but they're just billions and billions of stars. Elliptical galaxies are kind of stretched out and then you got irregular ones that are just kind of a goofy shape like somebody stirred them up. He says the ellipticals have stars that are too crowded together and it would screw up planetary orbits. He says irregular galaxies uh, have 
active nuclei that just spew out deadly radiation. Not good. And he says it's only in a spiral galaxy. And in fact, you have to have a right kind of a spiral galaxy. So I won't go into all the details about that. But he said not any old spiral galaxy will do. It's, it's got to be a right kind. It's got to be the right size. It's got to be in the right location. It says uh, some French astronomers recently discovered that our Milky Way galaxy is an exceptionally quiet one. So we're very different than the Andromeda, which is the galaxy close to us. So we got the right kind of galaxy. Um, let me see if I can find something else about that that I think is interesting. He says uh, the Milky Way galaxy, our galaxy, moves around and our sun moves around in relationship to the galaxy, but we don't bounce way up and, and come down uh, too far within this general disk of the galaxy. So that's exactly right. The other thing that's really great is our galaxy is set up so that we can see out into the universe and it gives us a chance to look at things. And some galaxies don't give you that possibility. He ends the chapter with this quotation. I love this quotation. So he says, there's a strong suggestion just on the universe itself and our galaxy. He said, there seems to be a strong suggestion of intentionality and purpose. And he ends up with in this chapter, I actually did chapters three and four, from a quote by physicist Freeman Dyson. And he wrote a book called Disturbing the Universe. And here's what he says. The more I examine the universe and study the details of its architecture, the more evidence I find that the universe in some sense must have known we were coming. Isn't that interesting? He says the universe must have known we were coming. How is that possible? Well, you know, indirectly, I think he's saying there's some kind of designer outside the universe preparing everything for us. So again, the book is called Improbable Planet. And it looks at all sorts of things about uh, the solar system and how that had to be just right for us. And everything about the, the Earth, the moon system, the sun, um, planets, all sorts of wonderful things. So if you like science, now some of this will be, you know, uh, kind of uh, blow the top of your head off. But if you like science, you'll like this book. All right. Well, thanks for your time. And let's do another podcast soon.